This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And I'm Lena. We're finishing up our conversation on the traditionalist statement of faith. So let's pick it back up with the next article. All right. So we're coming near the end of this document. And the next one that we're going to talk about is the sovereignty of God. This is his affirmation and denial. Yeah, denial. Uh, We affirm God's eternal knowledge of and the sovereignty over every person's salvation or condemnation. We deny that God's sovereignty and knowledge require him to cause a person's acceptance or rejection of faith in Christ. Matt, what do you think? Well, okay, so we would agree, I guess we would agree with the affirmation sort of on the surface. Yeah, except that we know what they're really saying. Right, so... What they mean by that, these words, we would disagree with. Um, in terms of the the denial, we we deny the denial. This is uh, we do a lot. Of that. Yeah, this is not a good denial. Um, <laughs> uh, we we would say that by very definition of of what sovereignty means, it absolutely requires him to cause faith or or rejection of of him. So, and the reason for that is because sovereignty is the the idea of sovereignty is in the category of being. It's not what somebody does or doesn't do, but it's who he is. Um, it's an, the fancy word for that is an ontological reality. Right. As I just opposed know that to uh, an economical reality. Yep. What the heck does economic... You guys throw around a term of econ, ec, economy Look, of something. If you don't, I don't go know to the seminary, means. we it's, can't help you These out. are hidden secrets to the well, priestly order. Who's the bull guy that talks about how he's ripped all the time? What's his name? What? Selfwire. He always uses that term. Ontological? Oh. Yeah. No, ec- economy. Ontology versus a bald economy. guy who's ripped? No. Yeah, different he's podcast. Tired. Different podcast. He uses the he uses the word economy of something, but I just never know what it means and I just yeah, move yeah. on. Anyways. Give, when you're talking it, about it. the economic, it's the functions. Okay. So when you're talking the about doing. Yeah, what 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 God does yeah. versus his ontology, his being, the essence of who he is. Oh, okay. Also gets into divine simplicity and stuff like that, but we won't go there. No, that's cool, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so sovereignty is a category of being. Um, so that means that God doesn't respond or react to anything outside of Him. Uh, rather, He is self-acting in, in every sense. Um, that means that He acts from the center of His will and His good pleasure. And by definition of sovereignty, He He doesn't and can't react to to that which is outside of Him. Uh, he is always the first actor or move, mover in that sense. Now. That's almost worth repeating because it's so important because it's easy to kind of just gloss over, but it's so critical for people to understand that when we're talking about God and his sovereignty, this is what we mean. It's not something he does. It's not that he exercises. It's Mm -hmm. that he is by his very nature sovereign and that he's not ever reacting to us. Right. So anyhow. Yeah, that's good. Um, so a good example of this, we see this in Romans 8, 28 and 30. Mark, can you read that? Yeah, I got that. And we know that God causes all things to work together 
for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Yeah, so here, I mean, you can really see it in that last part. The point to understand is that God is the actor in every sense. This isn't a passive thing he does, but an active thing he does. Um, notice he's the one who predestines. He's the one who calls. He's the one who justifies. He's the one who glorifies. And so it's not in response to anything outside of him. It's not in response to a person's faith or acceptance of him. Rather, these are all categories. And they're in, in a technical, throughout a technical sense, these are in the aorist tense, uh, which, which is a, a, ver, a tense verb in the Greek, which means it's a complete action that that he's accomplished. Um and in this sense, in past. And, and, but what's important, and we, I think we said it in one of the other podcasts, but they're all completed. It's not some of these are waiting to be done. They're already done. Yeah. 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 In a now and not yet sense. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a sense in which you're, you're glorified or set apart, but there's a sense in which you're not. Right. But that's a theological idea. The point yeah. is that, the same ones that he foreknew are the same exactly. ones that he's glorified. Not yeah. some of them, not hopefully some of them, not maybe some of them. Right. It's a package deal. Right. Yeah. And so if there are ones that he's glorified, I mean, it has to apply to, I mean, his, his choosing, his justifying. Yeah. Everything. Every single sense. Yeah. So he does this. This isn't, this isn't in response to a person's faith. Um, it's not like he's looking down the corridors of time to see who would accept him. And those are the ones he's called or justified. Rather, these are all one-sided um, it's a mono deal. Notice also the, what's important to know is these are indicatives. That is, these are facts or realities. These are accomplished truths of what God has sovereignly done from eternity past and also by definition from the center of his own will. Um, and another important verse that we could talk about on this is Psalm 115.3. That says, but, uh, but our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. In other words, it's impossible for God to do something that doesn't please him. Um, and so what's interesting about this, if you think about this on the other other side of the spectrum here, you know, we can ask the question, what can this say about people he eternally condemns? Uh, are they then condemned against his good pleasure? If, if he's in heaven and does whatever he pleases, meaning that which pleases him, is his condemning work then not pleasing to him? <laughs> Just that passage alone is worth a lot of time of thinking and yeah. not a whole bunch of hasty talking when people are struggling with the whole idea of the sovereignty of God, because yeah. it's, it's so hard for us to separate our own sense of being from what the scripture says about God. Yeah. So with, with this article, um, we deny the denial. What could we say about that? Well, and we can just say in summary, God's sovereignty and knowledge not only do require him to cause a person's acceptance or even rejection of faith in Christ, but it's it's the cause of those things on the basis of his own sovereign pleasure. This is actually what pleases him from the center of his will. Again, not in reaction to anything outside of him, but from from him and him alone. That's the source. So th- that's that's the article in God's sovereignty. Uh, article eight, then, which is the next one, is on the free will of man. Here's what it says. It says we affirm that God, as an expression of his sovereignty, endows each person with actual free will, the ability to choose between two options which must be exercised in accepting or rejecting God's gracious call to salvation by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. 
We deny that the decision of faith is an act of God rather than a response of the person. We deny that there is an effectual call for certain people that is different from a general call to any person who hears and understands the gospel. So what, what could we say we agree with on that? Well, we, could, we would not argue against free will per se. As a concept. Yeah. yeah. Um, every person freely is making choices. Um, and it's one of those uh, ideas that, they, that, that people will throw out who don't like the sovereignty of God or Calvinism or whatever you want to talk about, um, that they try to say, well, you're saying they don't have free will. Um, yes, any thinking Calvinist would say, yes, they do have free will, but it comes with certain definitions. Um, nothing in this statement is something, though, that we would agree with, and that's the frustrating thing about, um, well, the one we just talked about with sovereignty, because there they give lip service to a sovereign God and then make him not sovereign, because he's completely, based on this, dependent upon our free yeah. exercise to accomplish anything. Um, that, that would be him reacting to something. Yeah, which violates that ontological reality of yeah. him being sovereign. So that's where we get into the disagreements, um, and, and they're major, and this podcast can't even get into the depth of what, what is, but we will, in future podcasts, explore this, because it's a deficient uh, anthropology, which is the doctrine of man, and a deficient homardiology, which is um, a doctrine of sin. It, you, it, it's just terrible. Uh, to try to deal with this without grasping the limited nature of any person um, or the massive effects of sin is simple folly. Yeah. Um, now, we already dealt with this in the above section, so I don't want to go down that road fully right now. It's sufficient to say, though, that every man freely rejects God. That is their state. Yeah. Um, and this gets into that nature of sin. That's our nature. We can't break free from our nature. We can't somehow make the right decision. I actually sat in a van once coming back with a, a bunch of pastors, and a young man was preaching through Romans, and he actually was starting to come to grips with the sovereignty of God. And an older pastor cautioned him and said, look, yes, God is sovereign, but remember, God made man sovereign too. And I just flipped. <laughs> It's like he what? And Bible verse, please. Yeah, and I I, I couldn't believe it. And the guy, because he really respected this man, just completely wilted and folded up what he was seeing in the scripture. Mm. But th th that's the idea that we have to disabuse. We have to break away from this idea that somehow each man is walking around as a sovereign will that they can exercise, and then this causes God to act or not act. Um, yeah. The Bible just doesn't even understand that concept. Um, in essence, what they're trying to say is God wants to save you. Uh, he's able to save you. In fact, they would probably even say that he's done everything he needs to do to save you, but you have to be first willing to let him. So will you? And this is what why you see so many church services do what they do. You know, the pastor winds up his sermon and starts that emotional plea. He tells you to close your eyes, mm -hmm. put your head down, whatever it might be, because really God is up there pleading with you. Would you please come and let me save you? It puts salvation then into the hands of man and not in God. I'm saved. 
Yes, I would say I'm saved because God did all of these things, but I'm ultimately saved because I chose God. Right. And that flips all of the scriptural story upside down, and that's what makes it so da- deadly. What, oh, I was just going to say, no, like, uh, what you had said earlier, though, is it's a deficient um, homardiology and anthropology. Um, you know, we talk often about how bad doctrines, the result of just thinking about something in its own little tiny category versus bringing yeah. other aspects yeah, yeah. of theology onto something. And so you can make a, a logically consistent, you know, scheme, but when you then bring other aspects of theology or other real texts of scripture into something, it contradicts it. Yep. Yeah. That That's probably the hardest part about doing systematic theology is the tendency to want to keep everything nice and clean and neat in their own categories. But yeah, they so always necessarily way. bleed into each other. Mm-hmm. Now, what I had fun doing was looking at some of their proof texts. And so what are the proof texts that they're going to show? Now, remember, when they when on a document like this, when they give you a proof text, text these are the biggies. These are the good ones, um, the slam dunk kind of proof text. So the, the first one they give is Genesis 1, 26 to 28, and I'll just read that one. It says, then God said, let us... Make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, Looking at it again, I don't, I don't, I don't know what they're getting at here. I, there's two. There's really two options that they were trying to use with this thing to prove. One that is that we were made in the image of God, and since God is free, therefore we must be free. If so, then all of the other aspects, what we uh, theologians would call the incommunicable attributes, would be ours as well. Um, yeah. Is he, are we sovereign? No. Are we? Um, um, omnipotent. Omni- uh, yeah, yeah omnipotent any of those. Yeah. No, he, he, <laughs> doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't share those things. Yeah. Um, the other possibility, though, is he, he then gave us the right to rule, and they're thinking intrinsic to that, then, is the freedom of choice, that we, we are now given the freedom to choose how we're going to rule. And that's possible as well, but that doesn't prove the kind of free will that they're trying to argue for, that... Because the free will that they're really arguing for is not that we're making choices each day. They're trying to argue that the only way a person can be saved is by exercising some kind of a free will to choose God and to allow yeah. them to save. And it just doesn't. Nor does it take into account that this is pre-fall well, when before the image of God was marred. Sure. So right. even if they're going to argue something about the, this being the image of God, it's like, first of all, I don't know how you can explicate from this text that image of God equals sovereignty or some incommunicable attribute. But no. beyond that, it doesn't deal with fall. Well, so that goes right back to what you just said a few minutes ago, a deficient uh, homardiology, right. because you're right, we're not factoring the, the effects of sin. And the scripture is incredibly replete with statements about how we're utterly dead in our sins and slaves to sin and that we can't fight against that sin. But the one that blew me away was, I got Mark to read it. 
is Esther 3, 12 through 14. I'm like, what? Now listen to this. Deal, this sealed this, the deal this for you. This is it. I, I actually mm. was converted. Mm-hmm. At this point, I changed <laughs> oh, my no. mind. I said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. It, I like Esther. What the? I, okay. Right. Esther 3, right. 12 through Again, 14. Again, we're talking about free will. Everyone hang okay. on. Right. If you're a Calvinist, you are going to be converted. All right, guys. Here it goes. All right. Then. The king's scribe. Let me try this again. You got you to read it good. For Sorry, you I know. I yeah, just this, had a little frog in my throat. Was it, I haven't been talking. I was just, yeah. all right, here we go. Sorry about that. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and it was written just as Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province and to the princes of each people, each province according to its script, each people according to its language, being written in the name of King uh, Ash or something. And sealed, <laughs> and, <Ash-wares. laughs> and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to seize their possessions as plunder. A copy of the edict to the issue to be issued as law in every province was published to all the people so that they should be ready for this day. I, I have to wipe a tear away. We can go home now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to only hope, I can only hope that somehow that's a typo, Misprint? but I don't think it is. Um, I, I'm, I'm like, Okay, so I'm not even going to try for that one. Yeah, but I mean, that, it, that's I get, it was probably the the rulership over territories, and you know that there's kings that exercise authority over. Yeah, and then God I, 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 confounds that by having, perchance, a guy going down and grabbing a scroll to read because the king can't sleep. Right. And it had just happened, mind you, it was his free will, but it wasn't his free will because God was ordaining that he would pick up that scroll that would read about how Mordecai <laughs> right. had done this good thing. And then he asks, hey, Haman, has this guy been rewarded? And he's like, no, he hasn't. He's, and it's like, oh, my goodness. So anyhow, I don't know what's going on with that. And then they also have another one in Romans uh, 10, 9 and 10. What about that one, Mark? Yeah, let me, let me pull that one up really fast here. Romans 10, 9 through 10. We got to read it real good, though. No, I'm going to read it. This is going to make yeah, that. You can't this is going to make King's name this time. This is going to make that one look like Lena read that one. Here we go. <laughs> Romans ten <laughs> nine through ten. <laughs> Romans ten nine through ten. Yes. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe Him in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So what? I mean, that's exactly what it says, and nobody would dis- disagree yeah, with it. it. That's, really that's just simply confusing the means of salvation with the ability to be saved. It doesn't say God's up there hoping that you would do this, and look, here's what you got to do, but it's up to you. We wouldn't want to force anything upon you. Um, it's got nothing to do with the, with the issue of free will. Um, and also, if you look at the broader context, it's not even a tr- a- attempting to address any of that. So it's just, again, what's interesting, this, yeah, all of that, these are all just means. I mean, you have to believe. Of course you have to believe. The question is not whether a person believes. The question is, why did they believe? Right, exactly. How how did that come about? And that's a whole different uh, issue. 
But behind, behind all of that, and the frustrating thing with these two that we just dealt with is it diminishes the sovereignty of God and exalts the free will of man, and it turns the biblical, uh, the biblical text on its ear. And it's, it's very tr- problematic. And, and it may sound good, it may make you feel good, or it may make you feel like God is more fair or something like yeah. that. But it, it's, it's just a terrible bit of theology. So mm-hmm. from there, he, they get into a, something um, on the security of the believer. Now, this is classic Baptist stuff here. Uh, they say that we affirm that when a person responds in faith to the gospel— God promises to complete the process of salvation in the believer into eternity. This process begins with justification whereby the sinner is immediately acquitted of all sin and granted peace with God. Continues in sanctification whereby the saved are progressively conformed to the image of Christ by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit or by the indwelling Holy Spirit and concludes in glorification whereby the saint enjoys life with Christ in heaven forever. We deny that this Holy Spirit-sealed relationship can never be broken. We deny even the possibility of apostasy. Yeah, I, so this is, this is a decent statement. I think, you know, we could agree with this. Um, Almost all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess we would just, I, I would quibble with... Um, their language here responds in faith. You know, I agree that a person has to respond in faith, but it's what they mean by responding in yeah, faith. Yeah, that's the problem is we know what's going on behind it. Yeah. But there's it, nothing hor- horrible about yeah, this. Yeah, no, it's it's decent. Um, you know, so so in terms of security of a true of a true believer, we would definitely agree with that. Um what's interesting though is is this is uh this is where traditionalists part from your classic Arminian. Yeah. Uh an Arminian would say there is no security of the believer um, they can fall away. Now, why? Free will. Yeah. In yeah. fact, that's the biggest problem with this docu- This statement is... It's, it's, it's logically inconsistent. <laughs> um, so, so you have free will to choose God, but apparently you don't have free will to... Reject him. Yes, fall away. Yeah, so... You can stop believing whenever... You can't, you the, can't stop believing whenever you want. And it makes salvation punctiliar. It's, there's this moment I make that free choice... God, I want you to save me. I believe in Jesus, however they want to phrase it. But from that point on, you're locked in. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, we j- I just bought some airline tickets to Ethiopia, and we're locked in. If, <laughs> if, if, if we cancel, we lose yeah. all that money. Just the same thing. Okay, so the, then the final article, which is Article 10, is, is Great Commission. Uh, here's their affirmation and denial. We affirm that the Lord Jesus Christ commissioned his church to preach the good news of salvation to all people to the ends of the earth. We affirm that the proclamation of the gospel is God's means of bringing any person to salvation. We deny that salvation is possible outside of a faith response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do you think about that? It's fine. Yeah. We, we, we don't have any problem with that. We believe in the Great Commission. We practice that. Um, and we, we understand that unless somebody is going forth with the gospel, uh, that's the means by which God will save a person. So that's why... Um, and this is one of the things that Southern Baptists have done so well over the years is is they understand the commission, great commission that we need to go into the world and and bring that gospel so that they might hear it. Yeah. Uh, what's fascinating though is not every traditionalist believes this. Um, there are those who hold to the traditional idea uh, or this kind of a theological uh, 
uh, scheme, and yet they also would argue that um, those who don't know Jesus Christ and have never heard the gospel, then God will only judge them based upon what they know. Yeah. Yep. Which violates this, but there there's all sorts of people who would buy into this idea of traditional uh, of the traditionalism, and then they'll they'll say, yeah, but um, since it's really all free will, you know, it's up to us, and God will only judge us on what we freely have understood on right. our own. But this one all by itself, it's fine. Um, it's just on the sur- yeah, no quibble on the surface. Yeah, the problem is everything else. It, yeah. It's a bad document. <laughs> yes, and and for as a Southern Baptist pastor, it's frustrating because this is the kind of stuff that weakens the Southern Baptist Convention. It it's bad theology. It's not even carefully thought through. It's logically inconsistent, theologically inconsistent. Um, it's like my goodness, if you want to buy into some of the statements you said, then at least claim to be Arminian and be a faithful Arminian. Yeah. I can I can deal with an Arminian easier than I can deal with this because at least they're right. they're they're at least trying to argue for a different idea of atonement and they're trying to argue for a different understanding of grace you know provenient grace stuff yeah. like that and they believe you can lose your salvation I at least know why and I can approach it but this one it's all over the map it's just this vague a middle of the fence. Kind of, yeah, not, and not to make a real bad pun, but this is not a sovereign document no. in the sense that you know it's it's being drafted in reaction to something, yeah, and so you can see it in their their affirmations and denials. I mean, they're certainly against you know a Calvinistic perspective, and it's what makes their denials so bad. Is there's nothing biblical about it? There's, I mean, you showed with your proof text, they're just bad, bad proof text. They don't deal with any, they don't do any exegesis, nothing. There's, it's just a a very broad statement that means very little because there's no defense of anything. But this sort of thing has consequences like everything. It it affects how then you're going to do worship. It affects how you're going to do evangelism. Um, it's going to affect... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this, this is the kind of thing that we you and I deal with as a pastor when we get somebody coming into our church who later on then comes to faith, and yet they thought they were a Christian so, so, you know, for years, because he said a prayer. Yeah. And yet they were never redeemed. They, God had never done a, a, a saving work on their heart. And only through the hearing of the gospel did they finally hear it and, and at this point come to faith. And it's so frustrating when you're trying to shepherd uh, unregenerate people. And, and that's one of those issues. Maybe we'll get into another day that's a real weakness with the Southern Baptist Convention is they have— just this massive number of membership, but on any given Sunday, only a third of them are right. worshiping. Um, you know, when I took over our church, we had 350 members, but we couldn't find them. Mm-hmm. You know, none of them. And in fact, we followed up with every single one of them, and most of them were not walking with Christ at all. But somehow, they were a member of a Southern Baptist church, and we had to cl- uh, clean out our rolls. Why? Because of this kind of silliness, and it's not a funny silly so uh, hope, hopefully this is helpful, and it, it's clarifying for some of the people t- to understand that there's consequences to theology. Yeah. You got questions, pushback, feedback, let us know. Yeah. We'll try and answer. Or ignore you. Yeah. But we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> try. We're nice people. Indeed. 
be nice freely about it. choose to. Yeah. Not sovereignly. <laughs> Not sovereignly. No, just freely. Yeah. We'll react to your uh, reaction. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>